Hello and welcome. My name is Mike. I'm the pastor at Watch Baptist Church. You're watching WBC online. You join us for our Easter Day teaching and a very happy Easter to you. You're either listening on a podcast or you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening, you can't see what the backdrop is like behind me. But this is uh, an area of woodland not too far away uh, from Dunster called Nutcombe Bottom. Car park's just over there. Uh, and I'm in the, among the trees where there's a little bit less rain just at the moment. I wanted to read from John chapter 20 using John's account of the resurrection rather than Matthew, Mark's or Luke's. No problem with those versions, but this is the one I wanted to focus on this time. So we're going to read uh, the opening verses of that chapter in a moment. But first of all, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you rose again. And in so many ways, that is the absolute heart of good news. New life, triumph over death and kind of the reigniting of how you intended your creation to be. Would you allow us to breathe in that new life, to know resurrection power as we read about this fabulous story? Amen. Okay, so I'm going to begin at verse 1 of John 20. I'm reading from the NIV, and it goes like this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of cloth, strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. I read this week that there is probably more running in this part of this gospel story than possibly in any of all the other gospels, maybe even put together. Mary Magdalene runs. Peter and John run. John, you might note, is quicker. The implication of the way the text puts it is possibly that he was quicker because he was a bit younger. Anyway, there's running to and fro. And that tells us something about urgency. The urgency that these people who first discovered the empty tomb, the urgency they felt. It's interesting, yeah, at least the best word for it, that they were excited. Maybe not necessarily just a happy kind of excited, but there was something that excited their emotions in this moment. Mary Magdalene found a situation that she didn't understand and she was very animated about that. 
she went to find help. She went to find friends who might make sense of it with her, or at least to report something that didn't make sense. Peter and John ran to find out what had happened, to see if they could make sense of what they were being told. By the way, this early verses of chapter 20 are the first time, uh, no, second time that Mary Magdalene is mentioned in John's gospel. The first time is at the foot of the cross. This is only the second. And although she goes running to the other disciples for advice and sense, interestingly, she is not only the first person to discover the empty tomb, but also the first person in this gospel to tell anybody about it and the first person to meet the resurrected Jesus too. I've seen this week as I've been preparing for this talk, I've seen her described as the apostle to the apostles because she was sent to tell them and they were then sent to the world. In this instance, the thing I'd like to spend a little time just mulling over is something which I went looking for once I'd read the passage a couple of times through and and I thought I want to find out about this bit and the bit I wanted to find out about was really not very well covered in the commentaries that I looked at and it was this John arrives first but hesitates and I can't find anything that tells me why that might have happened why was John uncertain or lacking confidence maybe he just felt that because he wasn't a senior man it was appropriate to let someone else go first but I don't know let's have a look at what the passage says about that moment it says this both were running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in And Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Now, he could say that perhaps it would have been normal for no one to go in, but that Peter, with his kind of bull in a china shop character, just dived straight in to see if he could make sense of things. And then once he'd said, come and look at this, in went John as well. The other disciple being referred to here is John, who writes this gospel. So it might just be politeness. It might be uncertainty that keeps John from going in. It might be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, That it would be weird to actually go into a tomb so soon after someone had been laid to rest there. So we don't know, but I wanted to ponder, I was hoping for some help, I was from these commentaries, I was hoping to ponder on what it is that might make us hesitant Why might we, having been uh, enthralled, excited, animated by stories of Jesus' resurrection, why might we be hesitant at the key moment when faced with the empty tomb? Now, it might be that you don't think of yourself as someone who is hesitant, faced with the incredible and the supernatural and the miraculous. Maybe you don't feel hesitant when it comes to going to a place expecting to find Jesus. And if it isn't you, well, I'm not going to say this talk isn't for you, but perhaps what I would say is it might be helpful to empathise with those who feel that way. 
to imagine what it might have felt like for John to arrive at the tomb first. Clearly, he didn't run alongside his friend Peter. He had some reason for wanting to get there first, otherwise he wouldn't have run faster. But he gets there first and then just looks, rather than going in. Maybe something of Mary's uncertainty and confusion rubbed off on him, and maybe something of that rubs off on us too. Perhaps it's a sense of the unexpected, or worse still, not knowing what to make of what we find. But whatever it might be, whether this is something that you feel for yourself or something that you're just imagining somebody else experiencing, it is, it's worthwhile to be aware of those moments when people, us included, might feel hesitant, drawn to Jesus, but maybe not wanting to go all the way in one go. Because do you know what? He may have been hesitant, but it was John who said, um, in, in the way he describes what he saw and what happened, that at that point he believed. I'm just going to make sure that I've got the right verse for this. Uh, there we go, verse 8. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went in. He saw and believed. And verse 9 says they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So he believes. Maybe he's not quite sure how it works or why it's significant, but he believes something. Perhaps the reason why he believes is to do with the evidence in front of him. So at this point, we see that he's um, Peter's gone in and he's found um, the grave clothes and the cloth uh, still lying in place, separate from the linen. Now, there are various ways this has been understood, but most people are, are, are confident that what we're talking about is um, the material, the, the fabric that Jesus would have been wrapped in for burial, and separately a cloth that would have gone over his head. And that what seems to have happened is that the, uh, the, the wrappings around his body were still exactly in place. Now, in some ways, this isn't surprising because they are um, infused with uh, things to keep the smell good, you know, spices and, and whatnot. Um, and that it may even be the case that those wrappings were in the shape of Jesus' body, held in place without him being there by the things that had been placed on them or, or um, that they'd been soaked in or whatever it was, and it kept them in position. It's also considered possible that the cloth put around his head had also stayed in place as if there was a head there, although that's not, not so many people seem quite so sure about that. But what's important is that this witness of resurrection isn't the first in John's Gospel, because Jesus raised Lazarus from dead too. Except that when Lazarus came out from the tomb, from the instructions of Jesus, he was wearing those grave clothes. But with Jesus, they'd been left behind, almost as if he had simply moved through them in much the same way, perhaps, that he entered into that room um, to meet his disciples a few days later, arrived in a locked room, that kind of thing. Anyway, so maybe the reason for John's uh, seeing and believing 
is that he saw something that he could identify as signifying a miracle. But he didn't understand that belief. He saw and believed. So what do we take away from this? Well, I want to suggest a couple of things. First of all, it's okay for us to be drawn to Jesus, get really close, and then feel the need to pause and try to make sense of things. If we slow down as we approach Jesus to weigh things up, we're not failing. We're allowing our brain to be exercised. We're allowing common sense to be part of how we see a world with Jesus in it. Jesus, of course, does things on his own terms. The Bible reminds us in a couple of places that God's ways are different from ours and he functions differently and sees things differently from us. We are still encouraged to see that things uh, happen in an ordered way. Indeed, the creation narrative from Genesis makes a big play of the fact that the creation is God's bringing of order to something that was previously chaotic. So if we get close to Jesus and we feel a little bit like we need just to just give me a second let me process this i want to get there when i'm ready that's okay and whether you already know jesus or you don't nobody should rush you to a conclusion about who he is and what his power does and why he's significant don't ever let anybody tell you off for taking taking time to think through who jesus is and what it means to follow him. Secondly, I'd say this, you will find as you go through that journey of discovering who Jesus is and what he's done and what that might mean for you or or for all of us, that you might approach that, slow up, and somebody else who's dusting a different pace come charging past you and, and jump in early. That's okay too. Jesus at no point gives us any impression that we are in a race to get to understand him or to commit ourselves to him. What we are encouraged to do is draw near and see. Jesus does this, he says in in John's Gospel, he says, come and see to those first disciples who um, were John's disciples first and then they spend time with Jesus. He says, come and see, come and be with me, come and follow me and then come and dwell with me jesus is very well aware that people work in different ways according to their personality or their character or their circumstances or their backstory there's only one way to god and that's through jesus but there are many ways to approach jesus and he's not interested in you identifying what somebody else thinks of as the right one Thirdly, the important thing about this is that both men approached the empty tomb and they've both been told about it first. So they reached it because somebody else had told them about it. But they they approached. They didn't sit back in the place where they were staying and go, I wonder what what that looks like. I wonder what what it might mean. I wonder if maybe I could get Mary to describe it for me or maybe draw me a picture so that I can get a a grasp of it. No, that they wanted to investigate for themselves. 
And one of the things that I think John's approach tells us is that A, he was desperate to investigate, and B, he was going to investigate in his own time. There are lots of ways to encounter Jesus. Some of them differ depending on whether you know him already or you're finding out more about him. Some of them are the same regardless. Investigating for ourselves is the only way forward. There's a, a quote, I've used it before, racking my brain now for who it is who says it. I think it might be Brennan Manning, who says uh, something like, ultimately, when most of us aren't actually looking for proof of God or proof of who Jesus is, what we're looking for is an experience of Jesus, because that experience will prove to us better than any logic ever could do of his significance and the reality of his life. So I'd say those three things. Most of them are kind of don't worry things. And this is a message that Jesus continually gives to us, as indeed God does throughout the Bible. Don't worry, I'm with you. Don't worry, I will walk beside you. Don't worry, you're safe in my care. It runs all the way through God's dealings with his uh, the people he first encounters in the Bible. It runs through the covenants that he makes, those who go into battle for him, as well as those who look to rest in his presence. Don't worry. Finally, and this is not last because I think it's less important, but last because I think that having thought about what John did, we, we need to then take a, like a half step back and think about the context in which he did it. This empty tomb, which turns out to be so pivotal, that turns out to be the thing that signifies the new life that Jesus offers. This is made possible by a much bigger contextual understanding of what Jesus has been up to. There's something for us to recall and bear in mind that all four gospel writers give much the majority of their writing space to what Jesus did in his ministry. John was there for that. John can see that this moment of empty tomb follows a long period in which Jesus is meeting with people, talking with people, um, gathering people to him in large numbers and then seeing that popularity die away as people start realising that there's a cost to following Jesus as the opposition grows as well. So John's there for all of that. He's there for the confusing moments He's there for the transfiguration when it would seem uh, in the middle of the night he, he gets to see this moment where Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah and that must have been very confusing indeed. He's there for uh, incredible signs uh, and, and miracles as Jesus feeds 5,000 men and their families, as, as Jesus turns water into wine, as Jesus uh, heals people. He's there for all of this. He's there for Jesus... Uh, predicts is the wrong word Jesus warning about how his own story is going to finish Jesus knows that he will be handed over and tortured and killed John is there for those moments when uncertainty creeps in he's there at the table hours before Jesus execution where Jesus incredibly washes the feet of all twelve of his closest followers, including a man 
who has 30 pieces of silver in his pocket so that he can betray Jesus. John's there for all of that. John is there at, by Jesus' mother's side when the crucifixion has taken place, when it, nothing seems to make sense anymore, when the world has gone dark, literally as well as figuratively. John has lived the highs and lows of this. And as he writes it down, he recognises that perhaps the most important thing is to know that Jesus loves him, calls himself the disciple Jesus loved or the beloved disciple throughout this gospel. And so in this moment, as he writes about his own experience, he's saying, this is, this is me. This is what I did. This is how I got there and couldn't quite go in. This is me not quite grasping why that crucifixion was important. This was me not being able to get my head around how I was going to look after my friend's mum after his death. This was me discovering an empty tomb, knowing it was important, believing it was important, not being able to put all the pieces together yet. The realism of walking alongside Jesus, not being able to make sense of everything and still believing. That's what's happening here. So on this Easter Sunday, uh, as we watch this, on the, at this Easter time, let's embrace two or three things all at one go. First, Jesus really did live and die. He really did go to the cross. He really was sacrificed. He really did die with a spear pushed on his side to make sure of it. He really did die because we needed him to do something we couldn't do for ourselves so that we could reconnect with a God who loves us, with a God who is so aware of all our faults and failures and so determined to find a way to still be with us, to bring him, bring himself to us and us to himself. So there's that. It's worth celebrating that someone was willing to do all those things for you and for me. Secondly, the wonder of the empty tomb, that, that Jesus was able to get up and go and leave all those clothes behind, that he was able to demonstrate to us what a new and consummated human life might be like. I don't get very much description about that. We get a bit. And thirdly, however you feel about approaching Jesus, whether you know him already or don't, whether you feel like you used to know him but you don't know him so well now, whatever it might be, there is no rush and there is still time to step inside that empty tomb look for that evidence ourselves of what a risen Jesus means to us. There is still time to choose to let him walk side by side with you and to walk in step with him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for Easter. We thank you for your risen life and all that means for us. We thank you for the ways in which writers that came after you talked about this as a central thing of our faith. We thank you for the encouragement that we feel at this time of year and we pray. We pray that we would be willing to run towards you, to seek out understanding and answers for some of the ways in which you do things, some of the incredibleness that you bring. 
And we ask that you would give us courage to step in to that evidence and to ask you how you want to be involved in our lives. We thank you that we can ask for you to deal with our faults and failures, our wrongs and our missteps, our stumbling and our sin. We thank you that you promise that you will deal with that and you will give us new life. And we pray that you continue to walk with us however we feel about you right now. We pray for your grace and that we would know your goodness and your peace. Amen. Okay, then here's our three questions for this session. Number one, what might make you feel hesitant about Jesus? Maybe something about who he is or why he did things the way he did them or something from the gospel stories that make you think, oh, I need to ask some questions about that. What, what is it about Jesus that makes you hesitant? Question two, who do you turn to when you feel unsure about something to do with Jesus or your faith? Like Mary went to others to get maybe some reassurance or some perspective or just some help, someone else to look at the situation with her. Who are your go-to people or who is your go-to person? And do they know that they have that role in your life to help them understand? Question three, in what ways do you want to see new life happening in your own situation and circumstances? How do you want Jesus to breathe something new into who you are or how you face the world? In what ways would you call on him right now? Well, that's it from me. Thank you for being with me for this uh, occasion. I do hope next time I get to recording, it's a little bit friendlier weather-wise than it has been today. Uh, and I look forward to catching up with you all soon. God bless. Bye-bye.